Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. David Bernstein joins us today. He is professor of law at George Mason University, the Scalia Law School, where he also runs the Liberty and Law Center. Uh, his books include Lawless, the Obama administration's unprecedented assault on the Constitution and the rule of law, and a farther back, a book called You Can't Say That, the, the growing threat to civil liberties from anti-discrimination laws, which actually I read when it came out and, and was very persuaded uh, by it. It goes back to, to 2003. Uh, anyway, his new book is Classified, the, unstole, the untold story of racial classification in America. Welcome, Professor Bernstein. Thanks, Mark. Great to be here. Uh, my first question is a general one. Uh, with uh, the mountains of commentary on race, affirmative action, CRT, and, and all that, how can there be any untold story of race in the United States. You wouldn't think so, would you? Uh, but it turns out that our conversations about race and ethnicity often start with the preconception that the categories that we use in common parlance are somehow natural and inevitable, that somehow God told us or society told us that there must be uh, the categories of African-American uh, Hispanic slash Latino, uh, Native American, white, and Asian American. But it turns out that uh, these categories didn't arise spontaneously. They arose specifically because the government in the 1970s uh, decided that it had to normalize, regularize, make uniform the data they were getting about different ethnic groups. And it was really a very arbitrary process of how they settled on these particular groups and their definitions. So that's, I think, one thing uh, that's, that, that's new. Uh, another thing that's kind of new, which is becoming a pressing issue as, we, as the book was being written, is that um, about 20 years ago, Congress mandated that the Department of Health and Human Services require biomedical researchers to divide their subjects of research studies by race and ethnicity. And even though the categories we use, like Asian American or Hispanic, have no scientific salience at all. Uh, those are the categories that the FDA and NIH chose to use. And now that's becoming a big issue because people want to give out medical care, vaccines, and so forth based on race and ethnicity, again, with no real scientific basis for it. Hmm. I've seen some of those, some, some of those stories, people. But but I guess this is this is sort of a logical extension of some of these, and that, that's what you that's one of the things that you make clear in the book. And the, the, the arbitrariness of them is only part of the problem. You, you, you actually state that a lot of these racial 
uh, ethnic classifications uh, are arbitrary or, or invented, let, let's say, uh, inconsistent, and, and they're inadequate. For example, uh, the very term, Asian American. What is wrong with that broad designation? So the first thing about Asian American is that it does not include all of Asia. So the Middle East, Iran, um, Armenia, other parts of Asia are not included. Basically, it's the, ba- the boundary line is at Western China and Western Pakistan. So that's already an arbitrary distinction. But then the question is, well, what is the Asian American classification based on? Because even without that part of Asia, 60% of the world's population lives in Asia, and it's an extremely diverse population by looks, by religion, by culture, by anthropology, by genetic heritage. Even India itself, which is just one of the countries included within the Asian American category, if you have descent from India, is extremely internally uh, diverse. And what sense does it really make to keep uh, Pakistanis and Indians in the same category with Filipinos and Malaysians? And for that matter, uh, in 1997, because of political lobbying, the government broke off the Pacific Islander category from the Asian category. But people who live on Pacific Islands, the biggest group of people who live on Pacific Islands, which are Filipinos, as a very large Filipino population in the United States, are somehow still in the Asian category and not in the uh, Pacific Islander category. And why does this really matter? Uh, Well, it matters, for example, with the way that affirmative action is undertaken and diversity is undertaken in higher education because universities have decided that they don't want too many Asian students. So oh, they yeah. decided, they decided to have, they basically, at elite universities, have soft quotas uh, on how many Asian students they take. But really, even if accepting the premise that there should be some limit, it doesn't really make sense to limit it by Asian because the groups that really are disproportionately successful in academics are immigrants and their children and grandchildren from India and China and Japan, and to some extent Korea, whereas there are some Asian American groups like uh, Kamaru, the, the um, groups uh, from Cambodia, uh, Cambodians and um, Laotians and some of the and Samoans who actually uh, have socioeconomic indicators well uh, below the average, and yet mm-hmm. they are just lumped into this Asian group as if all Asians. Uh, are equally successful, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And they want it being discriminated against, even though their socioeconomic indicators may be lower than those of many people who get affirmative action. Hmm. You have a little anecdote about helping a Peruvian woman apply for a green card. And you note that when she saw the identity questions on there, she was confused. She didn't get it. What, 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 was, the, what was her problem there? Well, so the way we do it now in the United States is you first are asked whether you're Hispanic or not, because Hispanic is considered an ethnicity, and then you're asked for your race. So she had no trouble checking off the Hispanic slash Latino category. But then when it came to checking off whether she was white, black, Asian, or Native American, she's like, what do I do here? I don't really understand this. (laughs) I'm not any of these. I say, well, I said Spanish. I was talking to her. "Are Are you white? She goes, no. Well, you're not black. She said no. Uh, she, you know, she said that uh, she's a mestizo, which is what they call mixed race people in Latin America. 
And that's the category they have there. If you go to Latin America, no one knows what Hispanic or Latino is. It's meaningless. It's an American huh. invented terminology. So she didn't know which. So there are people like her uh, who don't know what to what 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 to click. Now you might say uh, that well, she's part Indian, so she clicked Native American or uh, tick the box for Native American. But it's but it turns out that the Native American category does not include indigenous people from Central and South America, Native Americans, American Indians have lobbied very hard to keep their category narrow because they don't want other groups encroaching on various benefits they get from the government. Hmm. What are some of the further absurdities? Well, you, you, you actually have a long section on uh, the, the absurdities that go into declaring someone eligible as a minority owner of a business. What, what, what are some of your examples there? So another contribution of the book, actually, since you asked that before, I go to this question, is that everyone seems to believe that in almost every case imaginable, what race or ethnicity you put down is a matter of self-identification. And no one seems to bother to look into this uh, until I did. And I actually found a bunch of cases some of which are at the administrative level and some of which are at the judicial level where courts or administrative agencies were actually asked to determine whether someone was indeed of the ethnicity or race uh, that they claimed to be. So the one particularly absurd case, I think, involved a woman whose mother was 100% Spanish and Spanish people are Hispanic under the way it's defined. Uh, She was married to a non-Hispanic person, so her surname wasn't... uh, Spanish sounding. Her father was not Hispanic, so her name, his name wasn't Spanish sounding. She was blonde, had blue eyes, uh, and could not identify any time when she had suffered discrimination based on being Hispanic. So the administrative law judge simply said, well, I don't think people like you were meant to benefit from this program. But the rule just said that you had to be of Spanish origin or culture, which she clearly was. She spoke Spanish. She had a lot of she would translate for people. She obviously had Spanish ancestry. Meanwhile, there was another case from the same agency, the Small Business Administration, where a guy who is a Sephardic Jew, in other words, a descendant of Jews who were expelled from Spain in 1492 and for many generations kept uh, Spanish dialect and so forth. He, he, The judge in that case said, well, you have Spanish ancestry. That's all you need. I don't need to know what you look like, what your last name is, whether you speak Spanish. Or anything else. So you have contradictory decisions even within the same agencies. And there's a court decision, which is one of my favorites, involving a guy in New York whose father was Argentine. So you think, okay, well, that makes you Hispanic, right? Not according to the court, because this particular court said, well, Spanish origin or culture has to mean not just that you came from a Spanish speaking country, which is how most courts and agencies define it but also that your ancestries have to ultimately have come from Spain. This particular individual, his his father's parents immigrated to Argentina from Italy. So the judge said, well, you're not Hispanic. You don't have any Spanish ancestry. And that, you know, so there's a lot of different cases where there's all sorts of uh, contradictions in how courts define and agencies define Hispanic. But then you have to wonder to begin with, why are people from Spain treated as a minority group uh, eligible for affirmative action and so forth, or for just uh, special, or you know, they, there's prohibitions on jury discrimination, a lot of potential benefits you get from being uh, 
classifies a member of a minority group are people from Italy or Greece or Armenia, other people who may be equally or more dark-skinned, who may have faced equal or more discrimination in the United States, are just sort of classified as generically white. You know, as this seems to me a problem that's only going to get worse as we find more uh, interracial or interethnic marriage, how are they going to handle multiracial persons? I mean, are, are we going to start getting into the old percentage game? So uh, in the 1990s, there was actually a multiracial movement that lobbied for a multiracial category on the census and on these forms we all fill out and ask for our race and ethnicity. And they got a lot of attention, a lot of political support, especially from Republicans, as it turns out. But traditional civil rights groups were against this category because they felt that if people start identifying as multiracial and not as Hispanic or Black or Native American, that they'll have fewer constituents. It'll be harder to win discrimination cases because there'll be a smaller population to, to be judging the discrimination based on. So they lobbied heavily against it. The compromise that was reached eventually is you're now allowed to classify yourself as more than one race, which you used to not be allowed to. However, when you do so, the government, in deference to the uh, these civil rights activists and lobbyists, eventually issued regulations quite quietly that told educational institutions and other employers, other people who gather these statistics for the government, how to handle this. So if you're black and white, you get counted as black. If you're black and Asian, you get counted as black. If you're Asian and white, you get counted as Asian. So generally, the minority group overcomes your white heritage uh, or European heritage, really, and uh, blacks are counted above uh, first before you count anything else. So even though you tick off more than one box because you want to uh, express more than one identity, the government treats it as if you're a minority uh, under some version of the one drop rule, I guess. We have not advanced that much <laughs> right. in the last hundred years. Right. You, you, you note the rise of a particular phenomenon, uh, the identity entrepreneur. What is that? So identity entrepreneurs are people who in their daily lives live their lives as generically white in some way. They don't really identify as anything but that. But when it comes time to get a job or apply for college or otherwise potentially benefit from minority status, they emphasize or express a part of their identity, usually really, there are people who engage in just what we call ethnic fraud, but usually like, oh, well, you know, I have a Mexican great-grandfather. I could claim to be Hispanic. And in some situations, they just check the box. In other situations, because they're now expected to be the mentor for Hispanic students or serve yeah. on diversity committees, they actually sort of have to perform uh, as if mm -hmm. they really consider themselves their day-to-day -day life as a hobby of Hispanic culture. So uh, this has become an issue um, mostly actually, interestingly enough, on the academic left, where there have been a series of scandals about people who have claimed falsely to be a member of a minority group or just have this vague ancestry and wind up taking a position. They feel like, well, the whole point of affirmative action and so forth is to assist people who are actually facing discrimination uh, based on their ethnicity, or at least who feel like they're part of the community and will add to the diversity of the community. But yeah. someone who happens to have a Navajo 
great great grandfather, but otherwise lives as a white person, isn't really who this is meant to be. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you were looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. You noted that affirmative action works in a lot of areas in our society. College admission seems to get the most attention, a lot more than uh, government contracts, for instance. Is, is that because in contracting, maybe I'll ask you to explain this, but contracting is done simply by yes or no, uh, while admissions end up with this more of a ranking of the, of the minorities. Uh, you, you mentioned a, m- a moment ago that black really is the highest man- ranking. That, that, is that why we, we don't hear so much about contracting minority businesses? It's a good question why we don't hear as much about uh, government contracting. Um, I suppose in part it's because the people who uh, control the media in terms of like who who are the reporters and uh, the opinion makers are the kind of people who went to the elite colleges where affirmative action is a big deal, so it's more pressing to them. It's also, I mean, even though um, only the elite colleges, only colleges that are actually selective, which many colleges are not, that where this is an issue, everyone sort of, if they're, if they're applying to college or thinking of applying to college, everyone sort of thinks it affects them where government contracts, maybe not um, right. much, maybe it's more visible uh, in the college context, but it, it, it kind of does stump me in some ways because literally hundreds of billions of dollars of contracts are at least influenced by affirmative action rules. It may not go to a minority contractor, uh, but at least uh, the minority contractors may have done a leg up. And if anything, it's a lot less plausibly justifiable than affirmative action in higher education. Among other things, first, because it's not, it is yes or no. If you don't get the contract, you don't get the contract. If you don't get into Harvard, but you get into Tufts, not that, not as big a deal. But also, um, as you mentioned, in universities, universities are most concerned with ensuring that they have a sufficient, whatever that might be, a sufficient number of African American students. They feel there's the over, you know, they want to overcome the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow and racism. And that how could you have an elite university in this day and age that doesn't have, you know, enough representation for African Americans? The Supreme Court says it has to be for diversity purposes, but clearly there's a social justice angle as well. Hispanic Native Americans get less of a preference. And Asian Americans typically don't get a preference at all, and in fact, uh, sometimes face discrimination. In the yeah. contracting area, however, all minorities, all officially designated minorities, get exactly the same uh, benefit from the programs. There's no tiers. So if you are a recent Im- Indian immigrant who's been here six years, just got citizenship, come from a wealthy family, you decide, I'm going to go into government contracting, you get exactly the same benefit as someone who's the great-grandson of slaves and the grandson of, of sharecroppers. Hmm. Uh, indeed, um, I don't. There, you, it's really hard to get any statistics. I tried. It's not really the focus of my book, so I didn't 
really, really try, but I did try somewhat to get some statistics just out of curiosity, really, about what percentage of government contracts that are aimed towards minorities or going to minorities based on preferences actually go to African-Americans now, because they were clearly the group that was primarily in mind uh, in the 1970s when these programs were created. And I couldn't get those statistics. I asked, I had a friend in the Trump administration who knew people in the Department of Transportation, and he asked them, he came back and said, no one's going to give you those statistics because it would be too embarrassing. So I would be very surprised if it's more than 20%. Uh, me too. Worse, worse in that regard, because as you said, as there's interracial marriage or interethnic marriage, uh, within a generation or so, 70, 80% of Americans are going to have a Hispanic parent or grandparent or an Asian parent or grandparent or a black parent or grandparent, maybe they're not, you know, African-American in culture. Uh, and those people will just get uh, all of the, uh, almost all the benefits in government contracting. And interestingly enough, while, you know, Liberals don't like to hear criticism of the way affirmative action works. I think they're afraid that if they admit any criticism that the whole thing will come crashing down. Uh, If they want to preserve affirmative action and contracting, uh, they need to do something. They would need to do something about this situation because let's face it, if everybody is eligible to get preferences or almost everybody, 70 or 80 percent of the population, then nobody's really getting a benefit. One of the strengths of the book is precisely the history, right? The long the, the long course through the decades of this. You say something really in racial classification important happened to start it all in 1946. What was that? So this was the first executive order uh, by a president to prohibit discrimination by government contractors. So how do you discri- prohibit discrimination by government contractors? You have to ask the contractors to fill out a form and tell us, well, how many employees you have of different races and religions. So initially, along with the issue of African-Americans, there was a lot of concern at the time about discrimination against Catholics and Jews. So this mm-hmm. is one of the ways that we could see that things could have turned out differently uh, if uh, just by happenstance or things had just developed in, at, at different times. So by the time that these programs really came into uh, fruition in the late 60s and early 70s, the issue of religious discrimination was starting to die away as Jews and Catholics were getting more integrated in society, but we started to have a lot more immigrants from Asia and from Latin America. So those became more prominent groups. So we wound up with a system where the original forms had started off asking about um, Black Americans primarily, and then also about what they call what either me- usually just Mexicans. They didn't, there was no Hispanics or Latinos. And me- how many Mexican employees you have? How many Jewish and Catholic employees you have, if you know, uh, it turns out that um, ultimately we replace those with a racial, only racial and ethnic categories. Uh, and the Hispanic category itself uh, was developed in the 1970s, uh, primarily because initially, you know, really Hispanic, the three big Hispanic groups were Puerto Ricans, Cubans and Mexicans. No one really thought they had much in common. Uh, they mm-hmm. live in different parts of the country. They are culturally yeah. different. Don't tell a Mexican they're the same as a Puerto Rican, right? Uh, but um, President Nixon, interestingly enough, was concerned on two fronts. First, if he felt that there were a lot of Puerto Rican activists, there was a bunch of there was a wave of Puerto Rican uh, terrorism and fl- fl- flight hijackings. There was a radical Chicano movement. He felt that he could create a pan-ethnic identity that would tamp down their nationalism. 
And he also wanted to reward Cuban Americans who were voting Republican because of their anti-communism. And the problem with Cuban Americans is that they're primarily white. So he had to create uh, a category that would be inclusive of all these groups. And they came up with eventually the Hispanic category. Hmm. Uh, what was JFK's Committee on Equal Employment Opportunity? So again, this was a committee that was uh, primarily geared towards government contracting. Where government contracting is a huge percentage of things like construction and whatnot because the federal government not only does its own contracting, but it gives a lot of money to states and localities, and then they also have to obey a federal rule. So every time a school is built or a road is built or whatever, there's federal money involved. So um, President Kennedy's uh, committee on equal opportunity created something very close to the categories we have today. Jews were dropped uh, from I, the list. I, I, I was actually going to ask you, that, that was my next question. So maybe I'll ask you in the middle of your answer here, why were Jews dropped as a category? When did that happen? It happened in, like, in the early 60s. And the reasoning is a little bit obscure, or I shouldn't say the reasoning is. What, how exactly it happened was, was obscure. But apparently in the Kennedy administration, some of the uh, African-American oriented civil rights groups objected to having Jews included in the uh, paperwork because they felt that Jews were successful uh, and in their mind, at least white ethnic group and should not be getting the same resources regarding discrimination as African-Americans were. And Jewish groups, for reasons that are hard to determine, basically did not object. Uh, Jewish groups did always have uh, some discomfort with Jews being singled out from the rest of the population in any way, because obviously of things like the Holocaust and when Jews were singled out in Europe, things didn't go so well. And they also, I think, felt that they wanted, they felt that, that, that the African-Americans had a point, that they weren't uh, in the same category. But so, uh, other than that, you know, you had Mexicans, but there were only a few percent of the population. And at the time, Asian-Americans and uh, what we now call Hispanic Latino, Amer uh, I'm sorry, or let me let me let me rephrase that. So we had a few percent of Hispanics who are almost all Mexican, with some Puerto Ricans on the East Coast. We had less than one percent of the population was Asian American, and less than one percent of the population identified as uh, Native American or American Indian. So really, at the time, it was really blacks and whites, uh, and the other groups were kind of thrown in. Well, they kind of face discrimination because of skin color sometimes too, and they're not really a large percentage of the population. Uh, so we don't really have to worry about that. And in fact, even with Mexicans, a lot of the early uh, civil rights laws and affirmative action policies didn't even apply to all Mexican Americans. Like if you were a fourth generation new uh, Mexican who has been living in New Mexico since the 1600s and, and then Mexico was incorporated, part of Mexico, was incorporated to the United States, you might not qualify. Uh, a lot of the early programs had Spanish language spoken at home or Spanish surnames. So if you just had a Mexican grandmother, that wouldn't work. And it was only later that the category was really brought in to include people who were Mexican but had essentially assimilated into the general American population. Uh, why, uh, a few years later, why were Hispanics declared, and this is a real basic question, why were the Hispanics declared an ethnicity and not a race? There has been continuing controversy over that since the 1970s, 
But when the government was really creating its initial formal categories, uh, like I said, there originally had been Puerto Ricans and Mexicans who were enumerated separately. And the idea was that the reason they should be included along with African-Americans was that they had a large element of uh, indigenous or African-American, in the case of Puerto Ricans' origin, they were often discriminated against because they were dark-skinned. However, at the time, in the 1970s, uh, the, Mex- the Latino civil rights organizations, which were primarily Mexican-American, did not want Mexican-Americans to be considered to be part of a racial minority. They wanted them to be considered an ethnic minority. I've read a lot about this, and unfortunately, I don't know exactly, I couldn't really pinpoint for you exactly what their rationale was, other than perhaps they thought that being deemed a racial minority might lead to more discrimination, make it harder for them to uh, assimilate. But it was really because of opposition from Mexican-American groups uh, themselves that they were deemed to be an ethnicity. Uh, and there are a lot, there were, there were and still are a lot of Latinos who consider themselves to be white. So that may have been a factor too, that, that some of their constituents said, hey, we're white, we are a Hispanic as well. Uh, more recently, during the Obama administration, um, Latino groups changed their attitude and asked the Obama administration to reclassify Hispanic as a race. And the Obama administration was willing to go along with it, but the Trump administration uh, vetoed it. This was for the census. So the census did not include that. But there's that issue along with another issue, a related issue, which is uh, Arab Americans have always been considered to be white, but there has been lobbying for them to uh, be part of a new um, racial minority known as Middle Eastern North African. And again, the Obama administration uh, was willing to countenance that, but it was vetoed by uh, the Trump administration Department of Commerce, which is in charge of the census. Hmm. Uh, a lot of anecdotes in the book uh, that they'd make for a very good read. What was the issue of Hispanic classification in the San Francisco de Fire Department episode? So San Francisco Fire Department, like many uh, government employment, um, places of employment in the 1970s and 80s, wanted to make up for historically having an almost entirely white department by having an affirmative action program. And the affirmative action program included Hispanics. And there were some Mexican-American activists uh, at the department who were sort of uh, monitoring their fellow uh, firefighters to make sure no one was cheating. And there were a couple of firefighters who were known to their uh, co-workers as being Italians and sometimes saying uh, this prejudicial things against Mexicans, who it turns out checked off for promotion purposes. They were Hispanic. And it turns out that, they, that each of them had one Italian parent, but one Spanish parent. And there was this massive debate and so forth about whether being of Spanish descent counted as uh, Hispanic and the Mexican-American activists suggested that uh you know these are just white people who are who who don't like even us mexicans and this program is really meant for us not for for them but after several years of investigations and publicity and fights back and forth and unions getting involved and arbitration these fire department finally determined that people from spain meet the official definition of hispanic from being of spanish origin or culture and thus count uh, as hispanic for affirmative action purposes okay there's a lot more, many, many more stories, discussions of other racial classifications, getting into Native Americans and and uh, 
other groups, how it's fed into scientific medical research as well. Uh, but the book is Classified, The Untold Story of Racial Classification in America. Thank you for joining us, Professor Bernstein. Thanks for having me, Mark. Great to see you. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.